0: Welcome back to the Latin Poetry Podcast. My name is Chris Francesi, and we are in the midst of a series on Ovid's Heroides, and I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. We're at uh, letter four, which is from Phaedra to Hippolytus, and it's a well-known story. The Roman mythographer Hygienus tells it as follows, Phaedra, the daughter of Minos and the wife of Theseus, fell in love with Hippolytus, her stepson. When she could not win him over to her desire, she sent a written message to her husband saying that she had been raped. And the word in Hygienus is compressam by Hippolytus. And she hung herself. Theseus, when he heard this, ordered Hippolytus to leave the city walls and asked his father Neptune to destroy his son. Other sources tell us that he had like three wishes <laughs> that he could get from Neptune, and that was one of them. Uh, And so when Hippolytus was driving a yoked team of horses, suddenly a bull appeared from the sea. Some of the Greek sources talk about a sea monster, but Hyginus it's a bull. Uh, At whose mooing, the horses were spooked and dragged him to his death. All right, so that's the basic outline of the story. The story is connected with a place called Trozen, which is across the um, Gulf of Argos from Athens sort of you have to take a, a little while to get there but it's it's associated in the orbit of Athens um, and it seems to be localized there because there was there were monuments uh, seen by Pausanias I always love to get my Greek mythology from Pausanias because he's got these interesting sidelights and sort of you know tangible connections with the landscape uh, that uh, uh, and often have very interesting uh, sort of variant versions so in, in this one, this is Pausanias in, in book one, when he's traveling around and he goes to troezen and he says that um, when Theseus was about to marry Phaedra, not wishing, should he have children by her, that uh, for Hippolytus either to be their subject or to be king in their stead, sent him to Pythias to be brought up and to be the future king of troezen Right? So the premise here is that uh, he, he, Theseus already has this son, Hippolytus, and he but he marries Phaedra uh, after the death of the Amazon, um, and he doesn't want to have have the have Hippolytus be um, um, the heir to Athens. So he he sends him away. He says you're going to be king of Troizen, the sort of satellite place. Uh, afterwards, this is now Plausanius again. Pallas and his sons rebelled against Theseus. And after putting them to death, he went to Trozen for purification, and Phaedra first saw Hippolytus there. And that actually that is not stated by Ovid in this letter, but its it sort of makes better sense if you think about it that way. She goes to Trozen and that's where she sees him and falls in love. Uh, and then, okay, the last sentence from, um, uh, last part of the Pausanias account. Falling in love with him, she contrived the, the plot for his death, which is oddly put. The Trozenians have a myrtle. Here's the key point. The Trozenians have a myrtle, that is the sacred tree, shrub of Aphrodite, with every one of its leaves pierced. They say that it did not originally grow in this fashion, the holes being due to Phaedra's disgust with love and to the pin which she wore in her hair. The word is assay nauseating desire it's a beautiful greek word amazing greek word desire that makes you sick and that's what phaedra feels like this is her this is what she's associated with is this asse. Uh, and then uh, they say so imagine this that you can look at this myrtle bush which is a kind of metonymy for aphrodite and then it's every leaf has got a hole in it and they say ah that's because phaedra took her hairpin and plucked and stabbed holes in every leaf uh, out of her ase, out of her nauseating desire. Right, so it's uh, an amazing, um, you know, sort of psychedelic image. I I just think that really sums up this myth in a a fascinating way. All right, so uh, enough of that. Let's get to what Ovid does. Now, of course, the myth is famous for its version by Euripides, um, and Ovid's clearly got Euripides' version in mind, there's no question, but he he treats it slightly differently. Uh, for one thing, in the Euripides' version, um, the play Hippolytus, there's no direct communication between Phaedra and Hippolytus, uh, just that the nurse is kind of encouraging her, and he tells Hippolytus, and he freaks out, and uh, it all goes south. The letter that Ovid writes is her attempted seduction of Hippolytus, uh, and the the characters are similar, um, but different. both Ovid and, and Euripides Phaedrus are really seeing themselves as victims of the goddess of love uh, and they struggle they you know they respond with silence at first only speak reluctantly. They're both very concerned about their reputation the shame um, shame in the good sense right that that restraining force that makes you worry about what other people will think. <laughs> Uh, so they both talk about pudor or idos in the case of the the Greek text, and both have this intense moral struggle. But for Ovid, the struggle is past, and she's decided that's it. I'm just going to go for it. And the I love this because it's so. I find it kind of shocking in a way. The the. Um, the rhetorical verve, Ovid, I think, warmed to this subject. <laughs> and it reminds you a little bit of um, Ars Amatoria, where he's pushing boundaries um, about what you can say. And, uh, okay, so let me just give you the first chunk of this and see what you think. I don't want to tell you what to think about this. She, uh, she begins with a 16-line introduction where she confesses to Sphedra the secret of her forbidden love. And it starts out with a bit of a hard to translate pun. She says, uh, uh, the Cretan girl, Cressa, wishes health to the Amazonian man, salutem mitet, so sends health. It sends greetings, salus means greetings, but also means health. Um, She herself will lack it, that is, lack salus, lack health, unless you give it. Um, And here she's described right away as puella, as we saw with the case of Penelope, um, you know she's not a girl uh, in, in terms of age, but a puella, symbolizing her status as, as a woman in love. And um, and wiro, we've seen that word too, being ambiguous. You know, man, husband, boyfriend. It can kind of slide between those. Right. And she imagines that Apollodorus might not want to go on reading. <laughs> you might just throw it away, right? Because she already knows him. Uh, So she immediately responds to that. She says, what harm can reading a letter do? Perlege, finish it, you know, quod cumque est, finish it such as it is. What can reading a letter harm? Uh, And she says, well, there may be something in this letter which would help you as well. Um, And she says, quod uet essay potest, something that might gratify give you pleasure or or help, it's ambiguous. This letter carries a secret over land and sea, arcana, terra pelagoque feruntur. So Ovid seems to be imagining her back in Athens now. I guess I'm writing to him at Troas At least that's how I'm interpreting that. Right. Uh, and so again, she returns to this, like, don't put down a letter. She says, even an enemy pries into letters received from an enemy. She says, uh, inspicata kept us hostis ab hostet notas. And the impli- implication seems to be you know, finish reading it. Even an enemy likes to read other people's mail. You know, you, we're not enemies, so you should you should finish this. Okay. She says three times. I tried to talk to you three times. Three times my tongue stuck useless. Ter inutilis Uh Three times the sound halted in my mouth. Rested it ores sonus. Right, and now she uh, talks about her own kind of experience of falling in love in terms of an encounter with the god Cupid. This should remind you of the beginning of uh, Aved's Amores because it's just like what Avid ascribes to himself, this experience. Love has ordered me to write down things which I felt ashamed to say. It is not safe to ignore whatever love has commanded. You sit. Know? Love has royal power and exercises his authority over the lordly gods. Gods, right? amor usit, known as tutum. It's not safe to ignore or despise that. Regnar, He he reigns. He rules. Love rules, and he has use or authority or rights over the very dominos deus, over the the lord lord gods themselves, as we know from if you know the metamorphoses. This is very familiar. When I was hesitating at first, he spoke to me. That is, Cupid spoke to me. Right, scribe. That hard-hearted man will give you his conquered hands. Uh, she says, ferius manus." another thing that looks forward to the beginning of the mores, if you know that work. Dare uh, manus, that means to, to sort of give up or surrender. May he aid me, says Phaedra, just as he warms my inner marrow with ravishing fire, I love that line. Um, Ut nostras avido foet inne medullas. So may he shape your mind in accordance with my wishes. Alright, so here's the Latin for that introductory section. Uh, Qua nisitu caritu rest ipsa salutem. Mitit amazonio cresa puella wiro perlege, quod cum quest, quid epistula lecta nocebit? Te quoque in hac, aliquid, quod iuet esse potest? His arcana notis, terra pelagoque feruntur, inspicit acceptas, hostis ab hoste notas. Ter te cum conata loqui ter in utilis haesit lingua ter in primo restit ore sonus qua licet et sequitur pudor est miscandus amori dicre quae puduit scribre iussit amor quid quid amor iussit non est contemnere tutum regnat et in dominos ius habet ille deus ille mihi primo dubitanti scribere dixit scribe tabet victas ferius ille manus adset et ut nostras abido foet ignem medullas fingat sic animos ad mea water tuos Okay, I accidentally left a key couplet out of my translation there. Um, that's lines uh, nine to 10. Uh, she says, uh, and it's, it's tricky because the text is probably messed up um, and it's a little hard to interpret, but she seems to be saying, uh, even when it is lawful and normal, qua licet et sequitur, and that's the word that scholars are really not very happy with, <laughs> qua licet et sequitur, to what extent it is permitted and follows pudor um, es miskendus amori. Literally, shame must be mixed in with love. Or in other words, I, I would translate that, even when it is lawful and normal, love must be tempered with shame. Then um, she says, this, as usual, the sort of second half of the couplet clarifies a bit. Love ordered me to write what I was ashamed to say aloud. Dikr quae puduit, scribere usit amor. Right, so she's saying that even in normal circumstances, you know, love needs a little needs restraint and uh, and a sense of propriety. This this is this key concept in the poem, right? Pudor, and she says that she felt that she she that's why she couldn't talk, right? She couldn't speak to him, and so the solution that Amor came up with in her telling of it is scribere. All right, let's go on. Uh, another section. This in this next bit, Phaedra assures Hippolytus that she is not habitually attempting to seduce men and that this is the first time she has felt this way. Um, her reputation, she emphasizes, has been spotless so far. And this is, again, the, the sort of her concern, very Euripidean. Euripidean has the same thing, where she's really tortured by the sense of what people are going to say about her. So she says, look, my reputation has been spotless so far. You know, the implication, like you, right? Because um, Hippolytus is a confirmed virgin and is, is almost a prude and sort of priggish about his righteousness. Then she says, well, if, I, if she's going to lose it, if she's going to lose this reputation that she values so much, she's glad that it's with a worthy lover like Hippolytus. And I think this is really the central kind of uh, <laughs> conceit or like a beauty of this poem is that she has this, very outsized attachment to her honor and her sense of shame. And yet she's just completely throwing it to the winds <laughs> at, uh, at the same time. And it's it's a great sort of paradox. All right. Uh, so here we go. This is line 17 through 36. She says, uh, I shall not be breaking joint alliances. That just means her, her marriage vows, her socialia foidera fancy way of talking about her marriage vows. I shall not be breaking my marriage vows through mere wantonness. The word is nequitia, which means just like habitual, <laughs> uh, you know, having affairs and just running around. Uh, all right, so my reputation lacks blemish. That's how I'm doing crimine. Fama crimine nostra wakat. And then she says, "Well, him." Quirros, and I translate that as "ask around." I should like you to inquire. Everybody knows that I'm I'm upstanding. Love has come with all the greater force because it came late in life to me. When it amor gravius quo serior, it came more seriously to the extent that it is later. I have a consuming fire within. A consuming fire and a hidden wound is there in my heart. Urimur intus, she says. Urimur, she repeats. No doubt, just as the first imposition of the yoke harms young cattle, and this is a familiar metaphor if you know, like Latin love poetry. No doubt, just as the first imposition of the yoke harms young cattle, and a horse taken from the herd scarcely endures the reins. Frina wix patitur. Just so, an inexperienced heart has a very hard time submitting to its first love. The burden does not sit comfortably on my mind. Sarkina que haec animo non sedet apta meo. It sort of galls me. All right, and she goes on uh, talking about herself as, as kind of a first timer. Um, uh, love becomes a practice skill. Ars is the word. Ars fit. Love becomes uh, a profession, if you will, when that frailty, in other words, when love is thoroughly learned from girlhood. She who comes to it late in life loves more deeply. It's really interesting. Arsfet ubi a tenris crimen condiscitur anis, people who have um, sort of illicit sexual affairs when they're young uh, get sort of to be professionals. qui venit exacto tempore tempere, when it comes, when, when love like this comes at the right time or uh, after a long time peus uh, amat, one loves peus, literally worse, but like, I got it bad and that ain't good, you know, like that kind of, that kind of peus. You will take the first fruits of a protected reputation, and you might remember this metaphor, the first fruits, of the libamina from um, Herodes 2, to know a capies libamina famae, and each of us will become criminals on equal terms. That's how I'm doing noquins. Pariter nostrum fiat uterque uh, Uterque nostrum, both each of us, will become nokins. In other words, literally harmful, but like it's another word for a criminal. Pariter, at the same time, on equal terms. Because, of course, he's a virgin, has a, con- has a reputation for being a confirmed virgin. He's like, let's, let's throw our reputations away together. Uh, it's something to pluck the apples from full boughs that is, at the very beginning of the season, I'd get those first apples when the boughs are heavy, and to pick an early rose with a tender fingernail, be primam de ligere ungue rosam. If, however, that early, uns, earlier unsullied purity, condors, the word she uses, which I with which I conducted myself blamelessly, was destined to be stained with an unfamiliar disgrace, so these are hard lines, Si ille prior quome sine crimine gessi candor, ille condor, ab insolita labi notandus erat, if it was to be stained, notandus, by insolita labi, by an unfamiliar blemish or disgrace, um, you know, if that that was my fate to have this great reputation and lose it, it has yet turned out well, bene sucesit, because I am being burned by a love of a worthy object. Digno igni. Uh, a little bit of an inversion. Most, most people say your stepson's not really a worthy object, but she's saying, oh, but you're, you're so awesome. You're definitely dignus. Uh, and then she explains what she means. A disgraceful lover, and I'll get back to that word, turpis, in a second. A disgraceful lover is more prejudicial to one's reputation than adultery itself. All right, that's interesting. Peus adulterio, turpis adulter. Obest, turpis adulter, a, a disgraceful could mean ugly probably not ugly in this case or low class lover. Uh, all the word can mean all three of those things. Is more prejudicial obest, peius is like worse for your reputation um, than adultery itself adulterio, ablative of comparison. Right, so she's like at least I'm not you know getting involved with some random guy <laughs> it's it's you hippolytus it's a sort of, i guess it's a compliment if juno should yield her her brother husband to me she says i think i would prefer hippolytus to jupiter mm-hmm. uh, right all right so let me uh, read that section in latin then i'll i'll quit for this time and we'll pick it up later okay so she says non ego ne nequitia socialia foidra rumpam Fama, volem quairas, crimine nostra vacat. Venit amor gravius quo serior urimur intus, urimur, et caicum pectora vulnus habent. Scilicet, ut teneros leidunt iuga prima juencos, frenaque vix patitur de grege captus ecus, sic male wixque subit primos rude pectus amores. Sarcina quaec animo non sedit apta meo. Arsfit, ubi a teneris crimen condicitur annis, qui venit ex acto tempore peius amat. Tu noa servatai capies libamina famae, et pariter nostrum fiat uterque nocens. Est aliud plenis pomaria carpre ramis, ac tenui primam de ligere ungue rosam. Si tamen ille prior, quome sine crimina gessi, candor, ab insolita labe notandus erat, at bene sucesit digno quod ad urimur igni. peus adulterio turpis adulter obest. Si mihi concedat uno fratremque virumque, hippolitum videor praepositura jovi. Bye. <music>